Um, we, uh, we tend to be kind of catapulted forward, don't we? It's like, uh, right, that's Easter done. And uh, kind of slightly relieved. Um, <laughs> and we move forward to the Ascension and, uh, and Pentecost. And, uh, and that's us. And Easter is done for another year. And when we come back to it again after we've done Christmas. Uh, and, and that's how it works for us, isn't it? But for the disciples, of course, it was a time of waiting. A time of uncertainty, a time of knowing that Jesus had risen, but of being somewhat unclear as to what that would really mean. And during that time, we see these uh, beautiful cameos of Jesus meeting with his disciples. And last week, Phil spoke so brilliantly to us about Thomas and about that encounter with Jesus. And today we meet with Peter as Peter meets with Jesus. I want you just for a moment um, to think back to a time when you let someone down, especially perhaps if that was someone close to you. I realise that what I'm asking is actually a difficult question. Um, And for those who are not already sobbing, it's likely to end up (laughs) like that. But maybe you just want to think for a moment about a time when you let somebody down. It may be relatively a trivial thing or something a bit more serious. And I wonder how you felt. I wonder whether you felt embarrassed or guilty, awkward. You're likely to feel all those kind of emotions, aren't you? And depending on your personality type, I guess either you'll kind of deal with it or if you're wired a little bit more like I am, you're more inclined to run away and bury your head in the sand somewhere. What about Peter? What about Peter's experience? If we go back to John chapter 13 for a moment, and Jesus is having a conversation with the disciples. And in verse 36 says this, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. And there's a few chapters, and we turn to chapter 18 and verse 15. It's a great rustling sound, by the way. Verse 15, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You're not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around the fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. And if you go to verse 25, as Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. 
one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a cock began to crow. If it's bad letting someone down, it's especially bad when they've told you that you're going to let them down. And you've said, no, I'm not. And then you do. That's Peter, isn't it? Peter, who let Jesus down. Jesus, always faithful. Jesus, who saw potential in him. Jesus, who'd given him chances. Jesus, who had loved him more than he had ever known. Peter had failed him when he needed him most. Ashamed? Yeah. Guilty? Yeah. Embarrassed? I'm sure he was. Disappointed? Angry? All of those things. Sleepless nights? Wondering whether those three years had all been a complete waste of time? I imagine all of those things and more. Probably seeing Jesus post the resurrection helped, but I imagine those feelings of failure and inadequacy still lingered with him. So Peter and the others responded by going back to what was familiar to them. Let's go fishing. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's find comfort in what we know. In what we know that we're good at, let's find comfort there. Perhaps we could be successful at that again. Perhaps if we're successful there, then our failure won't seem quite so destructive anymore. Maybe it'll be less acute. But I don't know if you've noticed, I certainly have, that when we fail in something, especially if it's relationships and personal, and it just, you just can't forget it, can you? It doesn't matter where you go or what you do, just, just kind of there, isn't it? Invading everything else, influencing everything else. And so you think to yourself, well, well I'll do baking, I like doing baking, and the cake won't rise. Or you think, oh, I'll play, play the piano for a bit because that makes me feel better and, and your fingers feel like sausages and you can't play any of the right notes. And that, that sense of failure just pervades everything. And I, I think for Peter, that's what was happening. He wanted to go back to something where he knew success, where it was going to be okay, where he'd feel all right. And even that, even that didn't work. And after a whole night of fishing, these guys who had grown up fishing, it's their whole livelihood, their life, they caught, they caught nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. If ever you wanted to rub in a failure, that would be the way to do it, wouldn't it? Running away doesn't really ever solve anything, does it? Anyone here like running away from things that are too difficult to deal with? <laughs> it, it, it doesn't solve anything, does it? It doesn't solve anything for Peter. And then suddenly, 
a stranger appears in the damp early morning midst, mist, comes to them in the midst of their despondency and despair. They hear this voice across the water. Why don't you try the other side? Now, I personally think the disciples were eminently reasonable at this point. Because I think if I was a fisherman, an experienced one, and had been out all night, and some upstart said to me, why don't you try the other side? May not, may not have been able to record what I said. <laughs> but something about the authority in his voice, something inspired confidence and a response in them. And they went, oh, okay. And they threw the net over the other side of the boat. And it was full, full to bursting, full to tear, full to the point where they counted 153 fish, which always amuses me. Bernard had a really great um, answer for this earlier on. Apparently, according to Bernard, clearly if it's according to Bernard, you should listen. Um, there's a legend that says that 153 were the number of fish that were in the known world at that point. Do you like that? A sense of completeness. Then I spoke to Stuart. It's amazing that the, the main point of the sermon wasn't this, but this was the one everyone spoke to me about. <laughs> According to Stuart, because it was difficult to weigh fish, they did count them, and it says they were big fish. So that would be a normal practice. He was a fisherman once upon a time, so he knew that. Okay, well, you, you know, decide what you want. But um, the main thing here is this. That Peter needed Jesus in the ordinary things of his life. He needed them in the ordinary things of his life. And I think we have a tendency to compartmentalize life, don't we? Things I can do. Things I need Jesus for. Um, do any of you do that? There's the stuff, isn't there? The things I think I can do on my own. And then there's the, the other things, the things we might need Jesus for. The story here is that we need Jesus in everything. We need Jesus in the ordinary. We need Jesus in our workplaces, the thing we're trained for, the thing that we have experience in. We need Jesus in our marriage, not just when it's a nightmare, or whatever it is. But you know. We need him with our children. We need him in our, in our leisure time. We need, we need Jesus in the ordinary stuff of life. And if Jesus can enable these experienced fishermen to haul such an amazing catch, how much could he transform our lives if we let him into the ordinary and don't just compartmentalize him into the things where we have decided we need him? And for Peter, this is the beginning, isn't it, of Jesus 
affirming him. It says, I'm worried about you. I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned about your normal life. I'm concerned that you've been out all night and you're already feeling rubbish and now you feel more rubbish. I'm concerned about that. I'm interested in you. I'm still on your side. I love you. I accept you. But of course, there was a bit more to it than that. And Peter needed Jesus to deal with his past. I mean, we all do. You can't just bury things, though most of us try quite hard, or forget about them. You have to face them. And Peter needed to face up to his own limitations. That butterfly's in a jar, in case you can't see the jar. I don't know if you noticed as Andrew was reading, but, but Jesus calls him Simon all the way through the conversation. Did you notice that? Because only when Simon is trusting Jesus and depending on him is he Peter, the rock. Now, not all of us have a name change, but there's still that truth, isn't there? Only when we are depending and trusting on Jesus, in Jesus, can we be the person that he sees us as being. Some of you are now checking. They checked at the 9.15. I was right then. (laughs) He is not able to be the bold preacher without Jesus. He is not able to be the disciple who recognizes who Jesus truly is without him. He's not even able to be a faithful friend in his own strength. He needs to face up to his limitations without Jesus, and so do we. We have to face our limitations. We can only be who we truly are with Jesus. That's how we're made to be. It's all in his strength. In John 15, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do Nothing. It's depressing, isn't it, really? You, you kind of want it to say, well, you can do a few things, you know. Do a few things that you're quite good at, or suit your personality type. Apart from me, you can do... All right, we're going to try a bit hard, okay. Apart from me, you can do... Nothing. It's only because we find it so difficult to grasp that, don't we? Apart from him, we can do nothing... Without him, we are weak, but in him, our weakness can become a place for his strength to be made perfect. Without him, we are broken, but with him, he weaves these gold threads into our lives. He makes everything new, more beautiful than ever we could imagine. He doesn't choose us because of who we are, but who we can be. We may be shifting sand, but he sees a rock. It's quite encouraging, isn't it? Peter needed to face up to his past, his limitations. Of course, he needs to face up to his sin. Sin doesn't ever fade away, does it? Some things do fade away, but sin doesn't. It has to be addressed. And Peter and Jesus go for a bit of a walk, and you can imagine his heart rate Increasing, racing, even. And Jesus says to him, Simon, 
Do you love me more than these? Love me more than these. And you can hear the echoes in his mind as he remembers that he says to Jesus, even if everyone else leaves you, I won't. And just thinking, why can I not keep my mouth shut? Why can I not be quiet like everybody else is and keep my thoughts to myself? They're not in this trouble now. Even if everyone else leaves you, I won't. Simon, do you love me more than these? He's messed up, hasn't he? But he does still love Jesus. And our translations are a bit poor here, really, because he says, yes, Lord, you know that I like you. He uses the weaker word there. Yes, Lord, you know I like you. I wonder if he's just afraid to commit. I mean, he's properly committed, hasn't he? Both feet and his mouth. You know I like you. I don't think Jesus' question is an accusation, is it? It's not, Simon, do you love me more than all these other ones here? Go and prove it. It's not like that. It's just kind of reminding Peter of what he said. As part of that, Peter needs to face up to the extent of his failure, doesn't he? Because Peter doesn't just deny Jesus once or, or even twice, but three times. And he's not subtle about it. I never knew him. It's fairly, fairly clear. And so Jesus is so gentle with him, isn't he? Simon, do you, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I, I like you. Again, Jesus says, Simon, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, you know I like you. The third time, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. Not that third time. It's like Jesus just clears everything, doesn't he? One by one. And Peter says, you know. You know where the fish are in the lake. You knew what was going to happen. You know I denied you. You know I failed you three times, but you know my heart and you know I love you. You know. And I wonder if ever you noticed, but it's like Jesus takes him back to the scene of the crime. Did you notice when we read that bit out of John 18 that it says they gathered around a fire they had made. In fact, several times it says about Peter warming himself by the fire. And it says in those verses, it was cold. And I, and I don't think it just means it was physically cold, though it, though it was. There was a sense of coldness, that this was the betrayal and the trial leading to the death of the Son of God. It was cold. And they were around the fire there. And around that fire, Peter says three times, I never knew him. And on the beach, Jesus makes a fire. And he calls Peter to the fire. And in the very place of his failure, Jesus restores him. Isn't, isn't that just like Jesus? Jesus. 
to be so careful, so thoughtful, so intentional about how he brings us close again to himself. The end of spring harvest, the, the guy was speaking on this passage saying virtually nothing that I've said. <laughs> but one thing that he, he said was this. Our life is surrounded by facts that shrink us rather than a, an expansive future. Talking about Peter, who's a failure, he was a liar, he'd let Jesus down. And all those things came against him to shrink his life down. But when the resurrected Jesus walks in, everything changes and he expands our future and what is possible in him. When Jesus moves in, everything changes. And Peter, most of all, needed to know Jesus forgiveness. He needed to see him wipe the slate clean one denial at a time, I think. I don't think it was okay for Peter, for Jesus to say to him, it's okay, Peter. I don't think that, it was so deep. I think he needed to know it one, one at a time to reaffirm his love for Jesus three times to feel that sense of restoration and renewal and reaffirmation. And sometimes we need to do that. And we've, we've done all sorts of things over the years, haven't we? We've, we've put stuff on acetates and washed it off. We've put it on scraps of paper and nearly set fire to the church, burning it. You know, we've torn things and cut them up and shredded them and whatever. Because sometimes what we feel that we need forgiveness for is humongous. It may not be from God's point of view, or frankly, from anybody else's, but in our minds, it is. And we need to bring it to Jesus and see him wipe the slate clean. Forgive us. Our past needs to be dealt with. Our failure needs to be forgiven our past can be, has been dealt with. Our failure can be, has been forgiven. Forgiveness leads to freedom, doesn't it? Freedom from guilt, freedom from condemnation, freedom for a future of everything that God has for us. And if we stand in a place of unforgiveness, as in we haven't forgiven ourselves, we haven't allowed Jesus to forgive us, then we give the enemy an opportunity and a foothold in our lives which he doesn't need to have because Easter is about the fact that Jesus took our sin upon the cross and dealt with it. And there is nobody here in this room who is too bad to know the forgiveness of Jesus. I can't really put it any more simply than that.
There is nobody. There is nobody who's too bad to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. He just looks at you and says, do you love me? Maybe you're just going, well, I like you. I do, really. I really do. But I'm not sure that you really love me. Jesus says, do you love me? Um, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I do. I trust you that you have forgiven me. I trust you that you accept me. I trust you that you want me. Because actually Jesus wanted Peter. He wanted Thomas. He wanted all of them. He wants all of us. Lots of you will um, remember Fred Astaire from old black and white movies, won't you? Of course, he was an amazing singer and dancer and actor. But in 1932, when he was starting out with his auditions, Hollywood's talent judge, Simon Cowell of his day, I guess, wrote on his screen test, can't act, can't sing, can dance a little. <laughs> it's good when failure isn't final, isn't it? It's good when it doesn't define us forever. It didn't define Peter forever. Oscar Wilde said, every saint has a past and every sinner a future. It's great, isn't it? Great little quote. Every saint has a past. It doesn't matter how shiny we are on the outside. And anyway, God knows us. It doesn't matter how messed up we are. Because there's always a future. Because actually, not only did Peter need Jesus, but Jesus needed Peter. This is the second point. It lasts a really short time compared to the first one. He needed Peter. This conversation is not just about Peter feeling forgiven. This conversation is about Jesus saying to Peter, let's get over this because I've got a job for you. Let's not stay in this dark place, this unforgiven place, this self-deprecating place. Let's not go back to the fishing because I have a job for you. I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to take care of my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. I have a task for you. I need you. I need you. And Peter was the one who could have compassion for other failures. He was the one who could strengthen others with the strength that he had received from Jesus. He was the one who would bind up the wounded, who would serve the church. Peter was someone that, God, that Jesus needed for the kingdom. And you are somebody that Jesus needs for the kingdom. He doesn't need superstars. He does need redeemed sinners. There may be a few of those in this room. 
And I just want to finish this morning with a quote which um, is just lovely and, and kind of sums up everything really. It says this, You ask me what forgiveness means. It is the wonder of being trusted again in the place where I disgraced him. I think at many levels, whenever we are trusted again in a place where we feel that we failed, it's the most amazing gift of grace. When Jesus does that, because forgiveness says it, it's gone, it's, it's done, it's put aside. I choose to forget about it. So why not trust us again in the same place? Because it's gone. Forgiveness is the wonder of being trusted again in the place where I disgraced him. I'm going to hand back over to Phil, but I just kind of feel that the, the most wonderful thing for the Lord this morning would be if there were people here who are carrying stuff that he has forgiven and dealt with and they put it down and walked away because then his death on the cross for us is worth it if I am still carrying around with me things that I can't let go can't forgive myself for and it's kind of like he didn't why did he bother and the greatest joy for him would be when we find that forgiveness and freedom and recommissioning from Jesus himself to us.